We're in a series called Holy Living, uh, kind of a play on words here, uh, and it's about reflecting Christ in our lives. And the thing about, it's all about the fruit of the Spirit. And as soon as I mention the fruit of the Spirit, I know for so many Christians, our minds go back to those kids' stories and vacation Bible school, and we think, oh, this is a devotion for kids. And for some reason, I think so many Christians, that's kind of where we've gone with the fruit of the Spirit. It's a little song. It's a little, oh yeah, this is something. We don't take it as seriously as we should. Because for believers, if we're led by the Holy Spirit, these nine characteristics should really be, uh, they should define who we are. And that should be what people think about when they think about us. And I don't know about you, but for me, some of these are a real struggle. Right? And so for us to spend time in this, this is really important. If I were to ask you, what is your goal in life? Um, I think a lot of us, we, we, you would have the church answer and, oh yeah. But for, for many people, if you actually look at your life, the goal would be, I want to be a good person. Or I want to leave a legacy. Or I want to achieve a certain level of status or affluence or comfort. But really, when we look at our life, we should be striving for Christ-likeness. We should be striving to, to be more like Jesus in our thoughts, in our actions, in our attitudes. And that's really what this series is about. Um, I'm really, it bothers me. That a lot of people, and I hear this all the time, they've been turned off to church. They've been turned off to Christ because so many Christians don't act like Jesus. And, and that bother does it bother you? I mean, when you hear people say that, and it bothers me because I understand now, now, now track with me. I understand there's going to be times that people don't like us simply because we follow Jesus. The Bible is clear that uh, if we follow Jesus, we We'll suffer persecution. We'll, you know, there'll be people that just simply don't like you for the fact that you mention the name Jesus. And I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with, though, is people who have seen believers act in non-Christ-like ways and have been turned off to church because of that. That's what bothers me. And, and I think for, for me, man, this, this series is the more I've studied, the more I've gotten into it the more it's reminded me of the importance of the fruit of the Spirit. There's a research book that came out in 2007, and um, I, I remember reading it when it came out. That's 14 years ago. Um, and it was a book that kind of studied young, uh, young people, and mostly non-Christians, and it was about their perception of Christianity. And so among young non-Christians, this is what the book found. Nine out of the top 12 perceptions were negative about Christians. And, and remember, this is 14 years ago. Tell me if this has changed till now. The common perceptions about Christians include that present-day Christianity is judgmental, hypocritical, old-fashioned, and too involved in politics. That was, um, that was 14 years ago. And so when you think about that and you think about where we are now, I think... You know, that was a big concern 14 years ago. This is the direction we were going. We've gotten there, <laughs> right? That's where we've ended up. 
where Christians are known. And I will say this is the perception. It's not necessarily the reality. But perception is how people outside the church view the church. And we need to be aware of that if we want to reach into the culture, if we want to be able to reach in and be effective in our witness. And so, uh, you know, I just and I think really the reality is that there's a lot of reasons that the non-Christian world believes that way. One is if you turn on the news almost every week, you read about another pastor being removed from uh, his position of leadership and it, from everything for, from sexual immorality to uh, just to moral, fail, moral failures, to anger issues, to addiction problems. Uh, the cover up of sexual abuse is a big issue right now in the church and it should be. Uh, and some are just for just pastors just being jerks. Let's be honest. And that's what's getting the media attention. That's, what's, that's what people look at and they say, this is not what Christianity should be. This looks nothing like Christ. And so you see a lot of people say, I love Jesus, but I'm not even going to church anymore. And that, that just hurts my heart. That does just hurt. That bothers me. And so the really question is, is how do we represent Jesus better? How do we really represent Jesus to the world around us? How do we obey this call that he has placed on each and every one of our lives? Uh, if we want to get practical about this, we've got to look at the, how the Holy Spirit works inside of us, how it produces fruit in us. And so when you look at these fruit of the Spirit, it's a singular fruit, uh, but summarized, and you could probably just summarize it as Christ-likeness, but it's characterized by nine different traits. I talked last week a lot about how there's this battle between the flesh and the spirit. And you have these nine different characteristics. And it's not like we get to pick and choose which ones we're good at or which ones we won't. All nine should be evident in our life. And so if we talk about these, this fruit in our life, how does it grow? I want to start off this morning by taking us to John 15. Very familiar passage. Um, but when we read this passage, I want you to think about the fruit that it's talking about. Well, what kind of fruit is it talking about? It, I think often when we read this, we think of fruit as, okay, how many people we win to Christ or how effective we are in what we accomplish for Jesus. I, I would challenge you a little bit and say the fruit that we're talking about is the evidence of Christ in our life. And, and it's really the fruit of the Spirit. So let's read this, and I just want you to think about this. And are you displaying this type of fruit, and how important is this? Uh, Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and the Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch, and it withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, 
and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. Take a minute and highlight that that, that, that verse, write it down, go back, study it. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. So when I read a passage like this, here's the scary part. It says if you don't produce much fruit, right, what happens? You're gathered up, tossed aside. Are you a true disciple? That's scary, right? Because we see a lot of Christians who don't reflect Christ. And I don't say that to scare you. or I just say that is this is something we have to take seriously. This is something we've got to be aware of. If we call ourselves a follower of Christ, then the word is pretty clear that there will be fruit to the world to show that we really are. And so this is more than a kid's message, right? This is, this is serious stuff about discipleship. Last week I shared that you're only as mature as your most immature fruit. You're only as mature as your most immature fruit. You don't get to pick and choose which ones you have or don't want or want. And, and I think for many of us we say, well, I'm just not a patient person. Or I'm just not a very kind person. That's just my personality. We don't have that option. We don't have that option to get to say, ah, I want that, but I don't want this. Or No, when we look at this, we've got to understand, right, that all of this, the totality of the fruit of the Spirit is manifested in our life. And so if we, we learned last week that if I'm walking with Jesus, I've got to be growing in my love for God, my, my love for other people. Um, and we looked at the love, the joy, and the peace. And I gave you some definitions. Love is not about what we do for others. It's about, uh, or no, love is not about what we feel for others. It's about what we do for others. It's action-oriented. Uh, we talked about joy. Joy is this pervasive, this firmly established sense of well-being. So you're planted. Nothing that happens is going to shake you. Peace is this sense of rest and calm that comes from knowing God. So those three are kind of the inner characteristics of a believer. That, that's kind of what grounds you. That's what uh, holds you steady through the storms of life. Today, the next three we're going to talk about, the patience, the kindness, the goodness. They're more of how we treat other people around us. And when we really think about this, this is important. We've got to learn how we treat other people matters. And so maturity, it is not measured by how many years you've served in the church. It's not measured by how much money you've given. It's not measured by your status or your position in the church. It's measured by how much you let the Holy Spirit lead your life. And so these nine characteristics are the, the evidence. So let's, uh, we'll go back, review Galatians 5 again, and then we'll jump in today. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. 
And so we talked last week about love, joy, and peace. Let's talk about patience, kindness, and goodness. Again, these are really how we treat each other. And and so let's kind of just jump right in. I want to give you a definition of patience. Here's how I would define patience for you. Patience is the ability to endure hardship and inconvenience without losing your composure. Okay, how many people already feel convicted, right? I mean, you just read and you're like, wait a minute here. Patience is more than just waiting. I think that's the, 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 the impression we have is patience is just being able to wait. No, it's the ability to endure. The King James translates the word patient as long-suffering. And, and the, the key being suffering, all right? This is not easy. This is like enduring when times are tough. And so it says, uh, I read this, patience is that quality of being where the mind holds out before giving way to action. Patience is the willingness to bear under trial, inconvenience, unkindness, and other forms of personal provocation without losing one's composure in Christ. And so if you think about that, this just means that no matter what happens to us, we're able to hold our composure. We're able to, to keep our focus. We're able to, to, to stay focused on what's important. I would say that we live in a world without patience. You just look around. Um, if you have to wait five extra minutes for your food at a restaurant, someone is going to lose it. <laughs> I've been embarrassed just being in restaurants when I see how people respond. Have y'all, y'all, and I, I pray that you aren't the ones losing it in the restaurant. But I've just been embarrassed seeing how people treat servers and how people act. And I just, it's, it's embarrassing to see people just throw their little hissy fits through life and think that the world owes everything to them. It's a lack of patience. You know, if you have to, uh, I mean, and it doesn't matter if you, all the road rage that's going on and you get mad waiting in line at the store. We live in a society that we want everything and we want it now. And we want it our way. And so we think it's owed to us. And if it's not careful, we all fall into that trap sometimes. We all feel like, well, why, you know, don't you know who I am? I, I, I'm, I need to, I'm in a hurry. I need to be somewhere. I need to go. And, and we've gotten so focused on, on, on that type of attitude that we've lost all sense of long-suffering, endurance, patience. Uh, the, the opposite, I would say, is not just impatient. It's being high-strung. Right? And, and I feel like sometimes I'm a high-strung person. Like, I, I get wound up. And so when I'm wound up, I get task-oriented. And the problem with being task-oriented, now I can get a lot of stuff done, but I can, uh, I can hurt a lot of people in the process if I'm not careful. Can you relate to that? I mean, when you get high-strung, I mean, it's like you just think about, okay, what do I got to get done? What's next? What's next? What's next? And, and when we get in that type of mode, we're showing a lack of patience. How often do you say or do we celebrate someone just losing it? You know, oh man, you know, they, they were able, to, you know, they waited and waited, but they finally got to the point they just lost it. That's what we celebrate in movies. 
You you think about movies, the hero is always someone who gets uh, whatever it is. Maybe they're bullied and they just have, they hit a point and they lose it. And then they become the hero or the heroine in in the story. And and we've got to realize that's not not really a character trait to pick up and say, oh, uh, you know, that, that's something, that's something we, we look at and, and, and hold up as something to emulate. I just think patience, it, it's the ability to not lose your composure. It's the ability to, 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 to remember who you are and whose you are and where you are. And so, uh, again, that means we've got to learn how, we, how to deal with people who irritate you. Now, have you ever thought about this? There are always people who just kind of get on your nerves, right? I don't want you pointing. I don't want you elbowing. <laughs> there would be people that just get under your skin and irritate the fire out of you. I, I, I know it. Um, but have you ever thought that you're that type of person to someone else? That when they think about you, that's what they, we all have our character flaws, We all have our personality traits. We all have those certain people that we don't mesh well with. And that's where we show patience. It's where we show endurance. It's where we show long-suffering. It's interesting when you look in the the secular business world today. One of the big topics, really, for the last 10 years, uh, after a, a book by Daniel Goldman came out, has been this whole idea of emotional intelligence. Um, and it's kind of interesting to read because what the secular world is seeing um, is really, uh, I think it has a lot of truth uh, that we have a lot of solutions to what they're looking for in Scripture. But this whole idea of emotional intelligence is that the people who are intellectually smart are not always the most successful. And you would probably agree with me, right? You've seen people who have a high IQ, but they don't really get much accomplished. And what they say is the better predictor of success is your emotional intelligence. And there's kind of three main characteristics of it. Uh, One is your self-awareness, just being aware of who you are, being aware of the other people around you. One is your motivation. uh, And so that's kind of the intrinsic, you know, how you're motivated to get stuff done and and accomplish things and what's your motivation. The third is called self-regulation. Self-regulation. Um, And what it is, it's how you control how you manage yourself and how you manage your emotions. It's how you handle and manage your impulses. In in other words, it's your patience, right? It's interesting that the business world is looking at, uh, uh, this is a big problem. We've got to learn how to self-regulate. And Jesus is like, you know, patience is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And that's how it's developed is not working harder at it. How it's developed is staying closer to Jesus. How it's developed is abiding in in Christ. And as we draw closer to Christ, then these little things that, that sometimes bother us don't seem so big anymore. And I'll just tell you, right, when I get frustrated, when I get... Um, when I get discouraged, distracted, whatever, those are the times when I'm the least patient. When I take my eyes off Jesus and start focusing on my problems, when I take my eyes off Jesus and start focusing on everything I've got to get done, those are the times when I'm least patient. 
And so for all of us, this is this idea, we've got to learn how to be patient. The Bible talks a lot about this, and it's really about controlling our response to the things that happen to us. Romans 12 uh, says this in verse 17 and 18. It says, don't pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. You live your life in such a way, people can't even make accusations against you. How? Because they see that you're a patient person. And we'll be talking about the kindness and goodness that go with that today. Uh, Hebrews 6 says this. It says, our great desire is that you will keep on loving uh, others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promise because of their faith and endurance. That word endurance is, again, the same word that we're talking about here. The, the being able to endure, being able to be persistent, being able to not give up, being able to control your response. Ephesians 4, Paul said it this way, always be humble and gentle. Right? Be patient with each other. Be patient with each other, allowing for each other's faults because of your love. And so I'm just going to tell you, there are always going to be those people who are like sandpaper to you, right? And you've got to understand that sometimes that sandpaper kind of rubs off some of your rough edges. And that's all right. That's how God has designed the body of Christ. We are not all alike. We all have different roles and different functions and different personalities. And yet, in unity, we have the same purpose. We have the same vision. We have the same mission for life. And so that takes patience to deal with that. You don't want a church where everybody... I'm just telling you, you don't want a church where everybody looks like me. That would be a pretty boring church. Right? <laughs> Y'all are afraid to laugh. Sometimes you're like, that'd be pretty boring. I mean, I'm not the most exciting guy around, okay? I know that. But we, we, it takes a little bit of all of us together. You know, when you look at 1 Corinthians 13, it's a love chapter of the Bible. We always hear it at weddings. But you know, right, it's not about a man and a woman in marriage. You know it's about the body of believers. It's about the church and how they treat each other. It's about how they exercise the gifts of the Spirit. And when it says love is patient and kind, right? Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. It's talking about how we treat each other as believers. Just a reminder to us. We need patience. We need patience. There's a, a book that uh, John Ortberg wrote several years ago, and he talks about he, he kind of has two words here that he uses in the book. He talks about we're either flourishing or languishing in our spiritual lives. Um, and when he talks about flourishing, he, he just says when we're flourishing, we're a blessing to, those people, to other people around us. But when we're languishing, it can be defined, you know, he said you can determine if you're languishing by, by asking the simple question, am I growing more easily discouraged these days or, or am I growing more easily irritated these days? And so, again, that's a pretty convicting question. Those times you're easily irritated when it just takes a little something to push you over the edge, that's a lack of patience. 
That's when you're easily discouraged. That means we've taken our eyes off Jesus. We're not abiding in Him. We're not being led by the Holy Spirit. Instead, we're giving in to those sinful desires, that, the, the works of the flesh. And that's the battle that we're in. So the more we grow in patience, the more we're like God. And He's always patient with us. In fact, as you read through Scripture, you see God is long-suffering. He is patient. That word long-suffering is used throughout the Old Testament on why He doesn't just blow everything up. He is long-suffering. In fact, in, in 2 Peter, uh, he said, we, we read this. It says, the Lord isn't being slow about His promise, like some people think. No, He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but He wants everyone to repent. He wants everyone to repent. And so that is what we're talking about when we talk about patience. So if that's what patience is, let's kind of take the next step. Let's look at kindness. What's kindness? Here's my definition for that. Kindness is being generous with your time, your affection, and your encouragement. It's just, it's characterized by generosity. It's this attitude that's sweet, that's gracious, that's just being kind to the others. Um, the word, as I studied this, I kept seeing this medical word pop up as a synonym for kindness. And the word was benign. And when I hear the word benign, I automatically think about cancer. It's either malignant or benign, right? But the word benign actually means that it harbors no danger or disease. And that was kind of the synonym, synonym for kindness. It's, there's no danger here. There's no ulterior motive. What... what what kindness is, is you can trust that person because they have your best interest at heart. That's a kind person. It's a trustworthy person. It's someone that's not out to get you, right? And so the way we best see kindness is through generosity. It's someone that gives of themselves. They give their time. They give their affection. They give their encouragement to others. They're liberal in how they give and how they serve and how they show that love to everyone around them. And so a kind person will take the initiative to meet needs around them. And so as a church, obviously this is so crucial that you have kind people in the right spots of your church. Now, I'll just tell you, I mean, there, a lot of churches are not characterized by kind people. Right? You've probably experienced that before. People that just are just sometimes downright nasty. And so what we've got to learn is, are we allowing kindness to flow through us? Are we allowing the Spirit to work in us in that way? Uh, Colossians 3.12 talks about that. It says, Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves... You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is almost like a whole other uh, listing here of the fruit of the Spirit. And, and so we see these things work together. And when he says clothe yourselves, uh, the picture I get is each morning you wake up and you put them on. Right? You put them on. You clothe yourself. This is a conscious decision each and every day to allow God to flow through you and work through you. It's a conscious decision each and every day to say, I'm going to focus on Jesus. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. I'm not going to let the problems of this world or the problems of today keep me from doing what is right, keep me from doing uh, what is honorable to God. 
2 Timothy 2 says this, The servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, to be able to teach and to be patient with difficult people. There are a lot of difficult people you're going to deal with in your day-to-day life. And so we've got to learn how to be patient with them. Uh, It's interesting, in the book of Acts, we read there's an account of a, a particular woman and when she's talked about, she's talked about as a kind person. It's in Acts chapter 9. It's a woman named Tabitha. Uh, Her Greek name was Dorcas, which is not necessarily a popular name um, these days. I did have someone first service, though, tell me that their grandma was named Dorcas. So it is a name that people have used. But it's in Acts chapter 9, verse 36. Uh, There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which is in Greek is Dorcas, she was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. Now this story goes on and talks about how she died and how Peter came in and, and sent everybody out of the room and raised her back to life. Incredible story here. But what I want to point out is when people thought about her, the first thing they said, she was a kind person. She was always doing kind things for others. When people think about you, would they say you're a kind person? Right. Would they think about you being someone that doesn't have an ulterior motive, that's not controlling, that's generous in what you do, that's always giving to others, serving others, helping others? Or would they look at you and think of someone who's maybe a little more selfish and self-centered? In some ways, that's kind of the opposite of kindness is someone that is self-centered. So so this, again, kindness, it's not just doing good. It's doing good for the right reasons. It's having no ill intent behind what you do. It's compassion. It's caring. It's generosity. It's the willing to go out of your way and to be inconvenienced for others. And, And so... I just I see all the time that people they'll do good if they get attention for it. They'll do good if people acknowledge what they do good. And what that gets at is that's not true kindness. All right, if there's strings attached, it's not kindness. And so generosity doesn't require recognition, it doesn't require control. It means there are no strings attached. It means we're doing good. We're being kind with not expecting anything in return. And we learn that that type of kindness, it comes from God. Romans 2 tells us how God is kind towards us. It says in verse 4, Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that this kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? All right. Uh, Ephesians 2, for God can point to us in all future ages as examples of His incredible wealth of His grace and kindness towards us, as shown for us in all He has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. When people see kindness in us, it's not just to elevate ourselves. It's so that people can see Jesus in us. And that's the hope. As people see us as being kind, they see something different. They see how God is kind toward them as well and forgiving them. And how He offers them a way to be rescued from their, their sin, their struggle. And so this is, this is important that we're kind people. Um, Titus, uh, one of my 
favorite little passages in Scripture is right here in Titus chapter 3. It says, But when God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. So God saved us because He is kind. He looked down on us, even though we were separated from Him. Because of His kindness and love, He made a way. He sent His Son so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be restored. And because of that, this is why we are called to be kind. Now, I'll just kind of give you a little side note. I don't want to get off on too much of a rabbit trail here. But just because we're kind to someone doesn't mean we agree with everything they do or we condone what they do. Are you following me? We can be kind to people who have completely different beliefs. Our goal, just like Jesus, is that people will see God through us. That people will repent and turn back to Him. But we can still be kind. I think about how Jesus interacted with so many people who were sinners, who were outcasts, who were just living lives that did not honor God. And He treated them with respect and kindness. We need to do better at that as, as believers around the world. We've got to do better at treating people with kindness. And, and so if we're going to be kind, the next one is goodness. And, and the, these two are really closely related. So kindness involves being generous and considerate towards others while goodness is doing those righteous acts. Let's talk about goodness. Goodness is the ability to do the right thing even when it's hard. So kindness is kind of this moral compass, this I don't have any ill intent. I'm doing, I'm kind because God has been kind to me. Goodness is I'm going to do the right thing. I'm just going to do the right thing. Uh, It's the ability to do the right thing even when it's hard. So kindness is more about the attitude behind your actions. Goodness is more about the actions. Goodness is much more than just being a good person. It means actively seeking to do good things for others. Uh, We see this. uh, I mean, you can go back to the Old Testament. You can see God's goodness displayed throughout. His goodness. Psalm 23, right? Uh, Surely your goodness, your unfailing love will pursue me. It will chase me right all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, you remember there's a song now, Your Goodness is Running After Me, right? That's the inspiration for it. it your goodness is running out. It's chasing me. Your goodness will pursue me. The Lord is good, and because of that, He does good to us, and His goodness pursues us. We can't escape it. He loves us so much like He can't help but do good for us. In the same way, we seek to show that goodness to others. I I like this definition. Goodness is kindness with an edge. With an edge. It is fierce kindness. Able to do the right thing even when it's hard. even, uh, Even when it hurts. Good in the New Testament is nearly always associated with God. So in James, James tells us if anything is good, it comes from God. James 1.17, whatever is good and perfect, it's a gift coming down to us from God our Father. And, and he's, he never changes. He's good. He always has been, always will be. God is good. That means anything that happens that is not good does not come from God. And so goodness 
is understanding what is right and making it happen and making it happen. It's righteousness in action. It's a desire for you to be a blessing to, to those around you. Uh, we see this again um, when we look at the life of Jesus. When they were describing what Jesus did in Acts chapter 10, it says, You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good. He went around just doing good and healing uh, all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. It's a type of integrity. And when I think of goodness, I think of integrity. All right? It's just it's part of who you are. It, it, it's goodness and kindness just working together. It's how you treat other people. Um, and, and again, we, we have to realize that as believers in Jesus, the world's perception of us is based so much on these three things we've talked about today. Patience, kindness, and goodness. Because it's how the world sees us. It's how we treat other people. And when we're not patient, when we're not kind, when we're not good, what kind of perception are we showing people about God? Are, are people really seeing Jesus through us? And so the question really is, if you know what is right, are you going to do it? This is not easy. And again, you're not going to change these things. You're not going to become more patient by trying really hard. Because I just guarantee, as soon as you say, God, give me patience. God, I wanna, I'm going to try really hard today. I'm not going to snap at anybody. I'm not going to yell at my kids. And I'm not going to get mad when I'm waiting in line. And I'm not going to get mad when I get cut off in traffic. I guarantee as soon as you say that, someone's going to do it. And before long, you're going to forget and you're going to just snap and you're going to lose it again. You, you, you're, going to, you're not going to get more gentle or more good or more kind by just trying harder. The only way these things grow in you is by drawing closer to Jesus and, and abiding in Him and letting that fruit develop in your life. And if those things are not displayed in your life, then it's going back to the basics. It's spending time with Jesus. And the more stressed and, and anxious and worried and, and on edge you are, the more I say you need to slow down and spend time with Jesus. And don't tell me, you just don't know, I don't have time to do it. You've got to make time. You've got to find time. If it means reordering your entire life, then it's worth it if you can draw close to God. And so we've got to stay connected to Him. This is not going to happen through self-help, through positive thinking. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's submission to the Spirit. And so I just want to challenge you a little bit today. I think one of the best ways we can respond as a church, as individuals, is simply to do some repenting to God. Because <laughs> we fall short. We mess up. We don't do the things we know we should do. We fall short when we know... Uh, we just need to submit to the Spirit and let the Spirit work in us and through us. And so I want to give you a chance to do that right now. Let's bow our heads and, and pray together. Heavenly Father, Your Word just continues to, to, to pierce us and, 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 and show us the areas in our life where we need You more and more. And so my prayer today is that each one of us, we would be able 
to, to look inside at our life and be aware of where we've fallen short. Be aware of the areas in our life where we're not patient and we're not kind and we're not good. And, and understand that we need that fruit in our life. And so, Heavenly Father, we want to abide in you. We want to draw close to you. We want to spend time with you. We want to be nourished by you. And we know when we do that those fruit will continue to grow and develop. Heavenly Father, I, I just forgive us for how we've fallen short so many times with our families, with our friends, with our coworkers, with our community. We pray that people would be able to see Jesus through us. And Father, I pray for those who are listening or watching. And maybe, they, maybe it's someone that's been hurt by the church or hurt by someone in the church. Would they be able to see you as the perfect heavenly Father? The one who embodies all of these fruit of the Spirit. And help them realize that it's all of our goal to be more like Jesus. And for those listening, for those watching today, as we pray, if you don't know Jesus, if you've not surrendered to Him, then today is your opportunity to put your faith, your trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And so it's, it's, it's just as simple as surrendering to Him, to put your trust, your faith in Him, to say, I'm not going to live by my rules anymore. I'm going to surrender to, to you and make you the Lord, the ruler, the master of my life. And so if you want to do that today, I can help you to pray. I can help you as you uh, really just proclaim, as you profess, as you make known what you want to do. So would you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, forgive me for where I've fallen short in my life for how I've disobeyed you, for how I continue to do things my way instead of your way. And so right now, I want to put my faith and my trust in Jesus to save me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need rescue. I know I need, I need your help. I can't do this on my own. And so I believe. I believe that Jesus died for me. And so right now, right here, I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to follow after Him. I want the Spirit to lead me. I want the Spirit to help grow these fruit in me so I become the kind of person that you created me to be. And so, Heavenly Father, come into my life. Save me. Transform me. And help me as I learn to live like Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus we pray today. Amen.